Hey folks, it's Joe Kim here with the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Now there's been a lot of talk about IDFA deprecation and the potential impact to marketing and user acquisition, but actually not so much discussion with respect to the potential impact to product and tools. And so with us to talk about that latter aspect, we have both Andre Cohen, who is currently the head of data science at Tilting Point, and Nicholas Herger, who is the founder of 8-Bit Coaching. Now, both Andre and Nicholas, prior to their current roles, actually had founded a company that was developing sales and live ops tools called Gondola. Gondola was acquired by Tilting Point, so they are in a unique position to speak in terms of some of these potential implications. So if you're interested in that, we have a pretty interesting conversation coming up. So after this commercial uh, break, we will go right into that discussion. So stay tuned. I think what's what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was 1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppSlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. The focus of our discussion today will be a few things. One, kind of the summary of IDFA deprecation, what it means to the industry. Two, implications to the value chain. And then we'll go into more depth around the product and tools impact. And again, speaking on this, we have Nicholas and Andre. But just to kind of tee up the conversation in terms of like why you guys are actually really great guys to talk about IDFA deprecation impact on product and tools, Nicholas or Andre, could you guys talk about what was Gondola and what was the service doing? Um, sure, I'll, I'll I'll just take this you know from from a high level. So as you mentioned before, Andre and I uh, first joined forces when we were doing indie games together. Yeah, and you know this is like the early two thousands, and optimization you know very very quickly became important, especially you know once in app purchases and then free to play and all that were emerging. 
And um, what Gondola was doing, we, we were focused on two different things. So the basic premise was, you know, we have to understand our players better. There might be a million players in our game, but they are, you know, all really belong into very, very different segments. So we want to understand our player base and then with Gondola do two things. First of all, we were doing dynamic price optimization, which essentially meant there is a, is a $5 gem package, but depending on the uh, the attributes of a player you know you you might want to give you know different gem amounts to different players something that is you know has been successfully done in you know airlines rental cars hotels you know for many many decades and then the other thing that we were doing and specifically we're focusing on later was offer optimization right so you you have you know the starter bundle the intro pack and the expert offer uh, one is 2.99 one is 4.99 one is 7.99 and uh, with the machine learning algorithm we were able at gondola to um, to take the data that we were receiving from the game developers do some fancy segmentation around that and and therefore attribute different offers to different kinds of players and i think that ties directly into our discussion today because uh, a lot of the things that we did at gondola would be much harder today if not impossible and and i think that's a that's a relatively good vantage point to start this discussion. Right. And so just to get some of the product folks up to speed, I mean, if you're a marketer, if you're in UA, you talk about IDFA deprecation literally like every day. There's conversations that happen just essentially on a daily basis, literally. But for the product people and maybe executives, can you guys talk about how the business impact of IDFA deprecation just to get those folks kind of caught up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. I think uh, once again, I'm going to take this, you know, from the more business point of view, right. uh, and then Andre can, you know, go go deep with us on the technicalities a little later. But before the recent changes, um, it essentially worked like this, right? So with every single ad impression, the user's IDFA, which by the way means ID for advertisers. Uh, I'm, I think everybody goes by IDFA, but just you know to explain the acronym. Uh, so the IDFA was recorded by the developer and or the MMP, so the mobile measurement partner. So now if the user clicked on the ad and afterward installed and ran the game, the IDFA of the user would be sent back to the developer and the MMP. So that way the MMP was able to create a perfect link between A, the ad campaign, um, and how that generated each paid install for the game. And that's obviously very, very valuable information because you, you, know, you can see you know, where you spent your money and, and what the impact is, and then you can you know, replicate and do more of that. After the initial iOS 4 announcement, uh, not 4, sorry, 14, um, it became clear that the IDFA in its current form would not continue to exist, but it would rather require an explicit permission from the user. So instead of an opt-out that we had all these years before, and that opt-out was buried somewhere deep in your settings, um, it will now be an opt-in. And um, I think we've all seen the markups by now with that native iOS prompt reading, and I'm quoting here, uh, App X, you know, whatever the name of the app is, would like permission to track you across apps and websites owned by other companies. Your data will be used to deliver personalized ads to you. And then the options you're faced with is allow tracking or ask app not to track. Now, we all don't have hard numbers on that, but just like on this message and the options that you will be given, I think the likely result will be that 90%, if not more, of the users will opt out. So if that's the case, the IDFA is, is essentially dead as, um, as a data point. And so the the question is, you know, where do we go from here? Right. And maybe I could also just try to simplify it for some people because I, I know it's kind of, it's a little bit diff 
difficult to understand for some folks, especially, you know, the, the dumb executive types, but like myself, but basically, so you have an app, you have an install, and then you're trying to figure out where does this install come from? Was it an organic? And if you're running like multiple ad campaigns across multiple channels, you're like, well, was this from this Facebook campaign? Was this from this Google thing? Was this from something else? And so if you don't know where this install is coming from, because you can identify it, then you're basically shooting in the dark. So that's kind of the, the importance of that. And then and to your point about the opt-in. So now you have to say explicitly, yes, I want to be tracked. And I think there have been a number of studies, but very sketchy. <laughs> so, so, so if you see some of the studies out there that, yeah, the opt-in is 50% or whatever, I would say once you look under the hood, it's like, wow, this is a very sketchy study. So, so I think the safe conclusion, at least for the moment, is to really assume probably something like 10 to 20% is, is my personal opinion. Um, but uh, go ahead. I, I would say at best. I mean, honestly, I, I was yeah. just reading it to you. If you see this on your screen, it, it, yeah. it sounds like spyware. It just sounds bad, right? And uh, and it's just like, you know, what, what's the benefit? You know, I don't want personalized ads. And I think people will you know, will just opt out. But to the point you were just making, you know, about the user acquisition, I mean, this is obviously what will be heavily affected. And I think a way to think about it is that you you just lose the causality chain, right? You, lo- you lose the chain that you had before, you know, very reliably established between different campaigns. Different campaigns can just mean, you know, different kind of visuals, right? Uh, you, you run five different, you know, video ads and you want to figure out which one is the best and the actual install. And and so in some ways, this this throws us like over 100 years back. There, there's this marketing pioneer. I think his name was John Wanamaker. Uh, he had this famous quote where, where he said, like, half of the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half, right? And in yeah. some ways, we're back to that. And as you said, you know, shooting in the dark. And, and, you know, what are you going to do? But I actually want to kick it to Andre here. Um, yeah, yeah you're, you're actually doing this stuff, right? You're optimizing bids, you're creating LTV models. So what are like the main things that have, to Nicholas's point, gone out the window? Well, anyone that depended on knowing where a player comes from is, is taking a hit for this, right? And I think with the, the industry over the last five years kind of got really accustomed to knowing the source, right? Yeah. Um, like when we started at Gondola, we didn't even really participate in MMP discussions. And then it took a while to figure out how it worked. Also, I think when it was like two or three years ago, there used to be, you know, a big discussion about uh, publishers and do you, do you count the revenue across organics and paid versus just the paid users, right? Sure. And so that's the evolution, right? So the, what, what kind of, what people get hit by this? Anyone doing the things that Gondola was doing, 100% get hit by this, right? Because it, it, imagine like if you're a game designer or a game producer, what's the easiest A-B task you can do to improve your game? Is to change the first offer you show them, the user. Do you show $9.99 as the first offer or $2.99? The best way to do that A-B test or to improve the monetization is just to know where the player comes from. Like if the UA department spent a million dollars acquiring users, you you probably have a good idea of it's probably worth the guy's probably worth something. Let's show the nine ninety nine. Yeah. If the guy comes out of nowhere from an app store, like you know, just show at two ninety nine. You're probably safer. Uh, you have nothing to lose because you didn't pay for that user. 
so yeah, so I mean, those are the things that are really taking a hit. The other big yeah. thing that people talk about is that ad revenue, because of the lack of targeting, goes down. Do you guys have a perspective on whether it's like the game companies or studios that depend on advertising, whether it's like hyper casual or idle games or mm-hmm. other major players that are impacted by this? Yeah, I mean, if you if you like ads and if you depend on the ad monetization. I'm, I'm personally really curious myself on what's going to happen. I mean, this is a financial uh, ecosystem problem. It's not, a, it's not a math problem at this point. It's the question is when you pull out a, a major factor on how to advertise and there's a clear dip in revenue from it, right? Because IDFA does improve ad monetization. That's a fact. Yeah. When you remove that, will the economy of ads normalize itself again back down to some other... Thing where maybe modern iPhones get you know better ad monetization than the crappy iPhone 4, like you know back in the old days, right? way back in the day um, when device type mattered. As far as other things, you know that people depend on. Who knows? I mean, I think the the big ones is obviously I think the ad world. It's going to be creative optimization. Um, is going to be really interesting. Mostly because I think a lot of startups that kind of failed in the the last three years can basically take their code out of the drawer and put it up again and be back into business. Because three years ago, right, like when we were doing Gondola, the cool thing was click-through rate optimization. It was like doing A-B tests with campaigns, A-B tests with creatives, iterating fast was the, the thing, right? And it was the IDFA and machine learning from the big players in ads in the ad networks that killed all of that. But now that you don't have IDFA and you don't, you can't, don't have that machine learning component anymore for audience building, hey, you can now go back to click-through rate optimization, which is a really interesting niche of technologies. So you have to adapt back again to that as well. Can I add something regarding the normalization? Because I think that is uh, something that I think is going to be very interesting to observe and where I would not really dare to make any predictions. But I think our industry is is special in the way that just starting from the IDFA, so, so we, as you guys have illustrated, we obviously depend on it in two different ways. So on the one hand, you know, and, and let's say monetization depends on it in two different ways. Uh, revenue depends on it in two different ways. So first of all, there are all the developers out there that need for their, you know, um, you know, sophisticated, deep, long games that they need to attract, you know, um, high value players right and the only way to get the high value players is a to have a significant marketing budget and then deploy it you know in the most efficient fashion in order to you know get the players into your let's not forget free game right that you think you know will will monetize sufficiently and give you the ltv that you need in order to um you know keep the lights on in, in your company and also continue to scale your UA efforts. So, so that's one. Then the other thing is, as you guys said, you know, hyper-casual, et cetera, but not only hyper-casual. I, you know, I, I still have this, this, this rule of thumb in, in my head that, you know, for, for a lot of games, about a third of all the revenue that a game is making or that a publisher is making actually comes from ad revenue. So it's a very, very significant revenue source, right? Now, what are the highest paying ads in mobile games? It's, uh, you know, installs for other mobile games, right? Because that's your target audience. That's what you want to go for. So as we have, you know, described, these will not be so efficient anymore. So all of a sudden, um, 
on the one end of the spectrum, the tool uh, to get the kind of players that I want for the kind of money that I that I can spend, you know, has been you know has been made way more dull than it was before, and that you know simultaneously pushes down the value of all of the ads and therefore the revenue opportunities for people that partly or heavily rely on advertising revenue. So eventually. I think for, for, for a certain amount of time, unless something magic happens, this is a little bit of a race to the bottom where it just will be pushed down, you know, to see where the, where's the new floor for the value, right? What is the first category still willing to spend on uh, on the kind of players that they can get now without the attribution that was in place before? And then what does that translate into, you know, click-through ratios, impressions, and all of this, and how much money other people can make? And I think then there will be an uptick again. But what I would not dare to make any predictions on is, A, where is that floor? Just like on average, uh, you know, for, for an ad impression, an install, et cetera. And B, how long it will take to reach that. Because that might be, you know, only a couple of months. It's a fast-paced business, but it might also be longer. And there will be a lot of insecurity in that very specific market. And um, as we all know, insecurity, you know, usually not exactly what, what, what boosts things up. So I have no answer there, but I think it's a very curious problem. Well, just to, to go into a really funny angle, now that you're going all into finance and the, the bottom cap and, uh, and everything like that is, what about Android, right? Because they are still having the same ecosystem. So now you're going to have developers making games. All of a sudden, that's going to be the prime platform. That's going to be like the the cream yeah. of the. It's like I'm I'm getting my 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 really fancy users on Android now. Interesting yeah. approach. Yeah, could be. Yeah, they might actually become more profitable than iOS now for once. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but stay tuned. Some really deep insights coming up after our short commercial break from our sponsor Exola. That's all coming up after the break. Nowhere to turn, locked down, danger at every corner. Dang, what game is that? Oh, I'm just reading today's news. Hey, speaking of games, are you done with yours? Yeah, we're pretty much finished. When's it coming out? I'm not sure. We have to figure out distribution, marketing, monetization, all that stuff. Have you checked out Exola? (laughs) Wait, Exwata? Exola. They're the trusted video game business engine, and they can help you with all that and much more. Get details at www.exola.com. That's X-S-O-L-L-A.com. You just heard from our sponsor, Exola, the trusted video game business engine. But now we're back, so let's get back to the conversation, starting right now. But if we're going to close the loop in terms of ecosystem impact, so MMP's dire, I think... To your point, Andre, maybe some of these companies that have more specialist approaches like Bidalgo on creatives, optimization, mm-hmm. stuff like that, they might be okay, potentially, based upon what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, Bidalgo is a funny one, right? Because to some degree, they are doing and they, and they do ad optimization and creative optimization and campaign optimization. And I think... They're just about to have their first, you know, real challenge in, you know, getting into machine learning to figure out how to do these kinds of optimizations without attribution. And the moment you get into it, which is, I think, the funny part is now they are in the same boat as MMPs, right? They have to do probabilistic attribution. The, they won't know exactly what players come from which ads. So they're going to have to do some fancy probability. And they're going to be doing the same technologies as um 
ROAS and LTV that everyone else is trying to do. So actually their business, which used to be really focused, is now having to tackle a much broader problem, right? Yeah. It's like what's why I always find interesting about LTV companies. Like if you're doing LTV, seriously doing LTV, you're not a gaming company. I mean, that's silly. Why are you just a gaming company? LTV exists in every industry. Uh, you could be doing the same core code and apply it to cars. You can do it for consumer goods. You can work for Whole Foods. Uh, it's the same algorithm. So these companies are about to, I think, get a bit more of like the, the real world uh, problems. And then in terms of like other players, like whether it's ad networks or is there anyone else who is negative? To, so it sounds like what we're saying is if ad revenue goes down, that can't be good for ad networks. So their revenue likely drops by whether you believe Facebook at 50% or, <laughs> or even more. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, what's interesting, I think, is that we have to start distinguishing between Facebook, Google, and things like TikTok from the rest, right? Because they have a real advantage that the ads you place inside their own apps has a completely different profile and a completely different background of data than the ads you run through Unity, right? Even Unity is questionable because they also have a big backend data aggregation system now. But yeah, like if you're advertising via, um, I don't know, pick your Mopub marketplace or some, some of these smaller players, it's going to be hard. But within the apps, like if you imagine you're in Facebook, right? Think about all the things you have there, right? You know the, the person, you know their location, you know the games that they played. If they log into games, you know the games they've logged into. So I think... The, the marketplace and the targeting is going to move into these ecosystems more, right? Well, just reality check here. It's not like Facebook already got the lion's share of this kind of marketing spend before. So in some ways, yeah. what you're saying, Andrea, is they will become even more important for lack of other alternatives than they were before because you know, as you said, you know, once a player has, uh, once a Facebook user has logged in, they have all of these different attributes, right? They know um, what content the, the the user engages with, you know, what they like, yeah. what they comment on, what they forward, you know, whether they watch the new PUBG trailer and whatnot. Exactly. And um, those are obviously very, you know, good attributes that at least allow you to narrow down the pool of, you know, players, potential installs that you're looking at, even if you cannot have the end-to-end -end attribution, you're still fishing, I guess, with a with bigger bait and a smaller pond, so you have higher chances of success. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yeah. I, I misspoke. Yeah, Facebook yeah. is already... I mean, it's why Facebook probably also originally also had the stance of not applying IDFA, right? I think now they're kind of becoming more murky about their stance on IDFA, but originally they said, no, we don't need IDFA to continue doing our business. Because they already have, what, what's, the, what's the user base of Facebook? How many billion? Two billion. But actually, yeah. Joe, I, I have a question for you. Since you sure. are the game executive in the room here, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, the one actually doing this and applying these, when you hear all of this, you know, all of these optimization tools that have historically given you you know, at least a 10 to 20% increase in revenue, right? And obviously, you know, at NBC and, and, and Sega and Fun Plus, all of these places you've worked at, you know, you've used all of them. So they're all taking a hit. I think, you know, to what degree remains to be seen, but they're all taking a hit. So, so what's the monetization strategy from here forward? As, as a game exec, 
how do you compensate for this? Yeah, I mean, what, I've, what are you going to do? Yeah, I've I've talked about this before on the sort of deconstructor fund podcast, but the the approach that that I'm taking with this is that we're assuming, and this is kind of a big assumption, is that we can't do targeting. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more negative on Facebook because I'm not sure if you can pay as much as you used to before with like, you know, VO or AEO types of campaigns. You can't pay that $30 per user and feel good about it. So assuming that well targeting is going away, and that's kind of a, I think that's a safer assumption, but I have spoken to, I'm not going to say who, but fairly senior folks who were at some of these bigger uh, companies who still think that there's going to be somehow a way to do well targeting. But if I assume that goes away, and if I assume that on the lower end, that the monetization of non-paying user goes away, then how does that impact my business from a product perspective? And so the way that I've been, we've been thinking about that is like, how do we optimize design mechanics to go for higher conversion with lower payer buckets, right? And so we're not assuming we're going to be able to get those 10,000, 100,000 payer buckets before but that we will have to be shift monetization to lower payer buckets, but with higher conversion. And so then when we, the way that that translates to the product is, okay, well, what are the mechanics, right? So, so then that, that makes things like battle pass, which typically has higher conversion, higher engagement, more attractive. That makes other, and I, I won't, I won't give away everything that we're doing, but that makes us think about, what are the things that we can do with less information? And you know, to your point as well, Andre, does that mean we can't optimize against players coming into the game? Yes, uh, we don't. We don't think we'll be able to. We know that this is a whale, so we're going to give them that that you know that fifty dollar or ninety nine ninety nine offer right away. We're we're not going to be able to do things like that. And so that's kind of what we're assuming. And and so then we think about well, then in terms of the tools that we create, and in terms of the experience that we have for our players and the mechanics and things like that, we're kind of banking on moving more towards the middle. We're we're banking on trying to be more like Supercell, and less like Game of War, less like you know some of these more hardcore games. So so that's that's how we approach it. So bottom line, rather than going for the the small but incredibly valuable bu- bucket of um, you know players that can spend you know individually six digit amounts in the game, right. um, as we've we've all seen, and you know depending on what genre you're in, you know whether that's social casino or you know some some midcore game or, or that that that's very well possible. Um, yeah. But from a design point of view, that that doesn't only mean you know you would you would have to you know from a UA perspective you would have to be very targeted. Um, in order to justify, you know, spending thirty dollars or whatever on, you know, acquiring players like these, which will not be possible anymore. But you were saying we are, we're taking a different turn during the design phase of the game, acknowledging that that will not be possible anymore. We're not going to design a game with that amount of depth um, right. and, and 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 that amount of, well, let's just say, you know, year long runway um, for for the for these kind of players that can, you know, make up eighty percent of your revenue or something. But we're going to, you know, spreading it wider going for higher conversion rate, but with players that maybe only have a lifetime value, let's say between five and $50 or something. Right. And, and to try and optimize that. And I would actually recommend the audience to actually watch, especially the, the later parts of Andre's talk on uh, player journeys, 
But when you think about, so if, if you're, if you're orienting around payer buckets, for example, right, and you're orienting around a certain payer bucket, let's say it's $300 instead of $10,000, mm -hmm. then you, then again, if we're talking about tools and we're talking about optimization, then, and again, I don't want to give away all our secrets, but when you when you think about that analysis of how, what the players do and how the players actually become a three hundred dollar pair bucket player, and then you think about the adjacency player adjacency, right? So then, how do you like optimize? And this is something that Andre speaks about in his talk, which, which I'll provide a link to. So again, not not to try and give everything away, but then when you map that out. And then how do you then provide analysis, tools, mechanics, mm -hmm. things to then make sure that that $300 bucket becomes as large as possible so that from a revenue perspective, yes, we're bringing the RPPU down, but we're increasing the conversion. Can we get revenue up? No, it's really interesting because I, I, I haven't thought nearly as much about like the whole ecosystem of games uh, as I think you, Joe, have been doing. But it's true that, you know, hardcore games are going to get, have to become slightly less hardcore to be sustainable. I think that's somewhat of what you're saying, because you can't get just, you know, the, the, the 1,000 player DAO and be a very happy company, right? You have to broaden your audience. We think so. I mean, I'm not 100%. I, I think, no, no, I, I like where it's going. I like where this yeah. is going. And also, hyper-casual has to give a little more. In order for the players and in increase the value right. of that player right. a little more yeah, than just hyper casual. Just one, one note on that is um, Eric Seifert, the for those who don't know him, he's like the marketing expert, but he made a point about hyper casual, which is that he thinks that Apple just doesn't like them. So, that, so regardless of whether it's this or something else, Apple's gonna get rid of them from the top three, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 hi, so hyper casual are uh, in, in 2020 are what the you know fart apps were in like 2013 <laughs> that all just got banned from one day to another because Apple didn't like them. I I think Apple gets what it wants eventually. So yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't fight the trend. I try to figure out how to benefit from from the trend. But one other thing that that just uh, came up and that I was thinking about was you know so 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 moving forward how do you actually soft launch games right and I think this is another joke question because back in the day you know you would create like five different ads you know you would pick your market that is that is uh, you, you would I don't know go to Australia or New Zealand or something um, you you had the different ads you know one with the main character one with the battlefield one is green one is red one is blue and then you would test them and see what converts. And, and it worked so well because you had the attribution, right? You knew exactly, you know, you go, going back to that chain between, you know, what uh, specific uh, ad and creative, you know, generated what kind of install. And then you would see how that player would behave. And that give you, gave you a lot of valuable information, not only around, you know, should I even like continue to develop this game and, you know, get it, you know, out of alpha and beta into launch state, but also, you know, if I decide to launch, I already have a pretty good idea regarding my UA campaign. At least I'm in, in a much better spot uh, than if I wouldn't have done this. So once again, question for the game executive here, with all this and these limitations, yeah. how are you going to guys go about I mean, I, I think you still do soft launch just to get, for us, you know, and, and more from the perspective of like mid-core, hardcore games, understand what your ARPU curve looks like across your audience. And, and mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it, but I would say that 
you may not see as big of a marketing initial marketing spend. It's going to be a little bit more iterative. It's going to be, in, in my opinion, and Andre is probably better suited to answer this question. But like, it's you know, if you're going to be trying to optimize against your D three or D seven ROAS, you're, you're like opt, like modifying your budgets on that basis. Then, if you don't have good visibility into what that actually is. You know, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna slow down, or you're not gonna be running as many campaigns as you typically would. You're, it's gonna be a little bit slower, a little bit more iterative. So it may be more of like slower buildups rather than like big marketing pushes from the beginning. I don't, I don't know if you would agree with that, Andre, or not. Yeah, I mean, there's two parts to the soft launching, right, Nicholas, that you brought up. I think the there was there used to be the click through you know, optimization, like, you know, if you're working with IP, right, like, do you pick, you know, I, I think I'm going with the Indiana Jones or going with, you know, uh, Tomb Raider. I don't know which one to use for my new game. Let's try in, uh, in, in Canada and see which one people like more. That you can still do, right? Uh, you still have impressions and you still have click-throughs and ads. Uh, what you're missing is you don't have the ARPU. So going to, to Joe, right? Going forward, I think people are going to just separate the two out completely. You can do click-through rate optimization and figure out what IP is best or what kind of things people want. Do they want the match three or they're more interested in the city builder version of the game? You can do that. But then as far as inside the game, you might as well, in my opinion, just assume one ARPU curve, right? One LTV curve. Like don't care about like which ad comes from, like who comes from what. Who cares? Because, I mean, the, the variance and the noise, and by definition, most people are not Zynga and, you know, running big soft lunches. So you, you might as well just assume roughly plus or minus 20%. But the click-through ratio is, you know, in those circumstances, not that valuable. I mean, this is something that, you know, we, we mainly used to worry about when it came to, you know, monetizing our ga- games we yeah. with, with ad revenue. But yeah. so if, if I run these, you know, five different campaigns, you know, let's just say, you know, I have the blue, the red, uh, the yellow and the green uh, ad, right? And, and I can see, okay, great. The yellow has a higher click-through ratio. Okay, what does that tell me? That doesn't really tell me anything, you know, whether somebody clicked, you know, if that led to an install. That's the first disconnect. And then, but more importantly, once I have an install, there's no differentiation between the player that looked at the thing for five seconds. Maybe he didn't even open the app versus the one that mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and started spending. And uh, so, um, I mean, as you said, you might as well just uh, assume one ARPU curve. But um, I, I think that takes a lot of the... Uh, uh, value of soft launching. I don't think you can get away without soft launching. Don't get me wrong. I'm just thinking, you know, th- there is another, you know, profound mm-hmm. ecosystem impact in, you know, the way games are made and launched that um, that people have to get uh, inventive with. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, just maybe to kind of like unpack this a little bit. So soft launch in terms of like technical soft launch to get rid of all your bugs and stuff, that's probably still there. The optimization side in terms of like, you know, figuring out how to improve features against your whatever your your entire audience is, that makes sense. And then I think it's just, I, I would say that the part, so so I think that all that exists, but like maybe the optimization around the marketing side that part of the soft launch, that probably changes a little bit. And then to, to the point earlier, when you hard launch, I think that it's not going to be as strong or as big of a push. 
Yeah, I mean, what what Nicholas was pointing out is like the thing that I worry a lot is, you know, you can have an ad that has great conversion, but brings horrible players, right, for our poop purposes. And you can have an ad that has horrible conversion rate, but the players that do convert are super valuable. Yeah. Um, And that speaks to, I think, live optimization. I don't think we're, I think we're going to the era where you really do have to, to your point, Joe, create very different player journeys uh and just get used to it yeah i I think the there was this whole thing before about having these very deceptive ads and then that would improve your your ipms right and so you're you have great ipms but then on the back end once people started tracking all the way down to the ltvs and it's like Mm -hmm. oh actually great front end terrible back end this actually doesn't make sense but now we may not have that back end picture so you know, so you got to be more careful. You, you got to use a little bit more intuition about, okay, does this make sense or not? Yeah. All got to come back to game design. All right. Well, may, maybe we could wrap this up with a t- discussion around opportunities. So as you know, with any big change, there are winners. And, you know, right now we've been talking more about the losers, but what about the winners in terms of like, Based on these technical changes, are there going to be new opportunities? Are there going to be what kind of new players? I mean, you guys talked about probabilistic, uh, you know, attribution, or some people are talking about this MMM mixed media model. I haven't, you know, I just kind of listened to it. I, I don't, I don't follow it that much. But like, who could be potential winners in all of this? Well, so I think that just to state the obvious here, when the incumbents in any market take a big hit. Uh, in the sense that they are losing their technical advantage, right? Um, and they're and, and thereby they might be, you know, going back to the adjust example, you know, might also be losing some customers and all of that. Um, that I don't want to say that puts everybody back to square one, but I think there will be a significant opportunity for smaller companies, newer companies, companies that are not dragging around. I mean. You know, 200 people that have not the, this this gigantic operation. Um, uh, you know, the bigger the company, the harder it is to change course. So if you have, you know, a, a hungry, you know, creative three people team, uh, I think they can now really make a dent because uh, a the incumbents are are not going to be remotely as strong anymore as they were, and b users, you know, game executive, product managers, etc., are going to be much more open to new solutions because the, the the game plan that they have been applying for all of these years is clearly not working anymore. So I think that just creates an environment where people are much more susceptible to you know new outside of the box creative solutions. And are you talking more from a tools perspective or from a content perspective? It kind of sounds like you're talking about like a new company that does some of the MMP functions that Andre was saying is valuable, but with a dramatically lower cost structure. Is that what you're talking like? I'm talking generally from an optimization tool perspective. Okay, I mean, okay. Like, you know, whether that is your general analytics provider, whether that is your, your, your creative optimization tool, whether it's the attribution, all of these things that are like table stakes, where it's not really a question, you know, if, 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 a, if a game publisher uses them or not, it's just the question, which one do they use, right? But you need all of them, right? When, when those guys all have, 
you know, are compromised in, in, in the way that their tools work and therefore their business works. I think it's it, that creates a lot of opportunity for new and smaller companies. And once again, I'm stating the obvious here because it's 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 hard for a big company to change course and reinvent all of this while simultaneously keeping the lights on and you know, paying the bills and all of that. Yeah. Um, and also trying to you know maintain the current customer base. And uh, it, it's just it's just way easier. Bottom line for a new player like a new optimization tool that comes into the market to go toe-to-toe with an incumbent than it was half a year ago that's that's what i'm saying and i think there's a lot of opportunity there and that will also this opportunity will hopefully stir up some ingenuity on the side of you know tool makers and young hungry folks that have some good ideas andre do you see some some technical opportunities like is there where's the i was actually going to take uh you inspired me uh, in thinking, and I actually thought it just right now in completely a different direction. And it's like the now that marketing is less known or under, or attributable and provable, I think there's a huge hunger for a lot of tools that used to exist to come back. Right? Hey, Zap, you know, social network in a game, you know, refer a friend to a different game. Think about it. Like even like to, like in in normal discussions now, I hear. You know, can we put coupon codes in? You know, can I refer a friend and you plug in the, the seven character code and you get 20 gems? It, it, it's something that I think marketers and game developers would be really into it again. Like right. a year ago, they would say, get out. Like, that's garbage. I'm not putting your, <laughs> I'm not putting your logo code? in my home screen, right? The haze up button has no place in my, in my game. But now all of a sudden it makes sense again. Right, when like it, it's worth the the concept, or you know, green or uh, open chain, similar thing. If you create a network of gamers, yeah, and you can forward each other games, that, that's uh, I think really interesting. The same thing with just like with these playables, right? Any kind of playable or widget version of a game, something that requires less uh, interaction than having to go to the app store, download the game, wait for it to install, load the game. If it's something that you can show a QR code and it opens the game immediately, or you're browsing the app store and you can immediately have 30 seconds of play, that that is like now now it's something interesting, right? I mean, just look at with like playable ads, right? There was there was a huge gush of companies doing playables now. So there you go. I think so that that's a big opportunity. The other opportunity, like the one that I'm really passionate about, is like you can only go back to how things were last year or this year, if you have end-to-end player, you know, player journey uh, mapping, everyone needs to have it now, which is really funny. Because of the lack of IDFA, everyone has some stake at uh, creating predictive LTVs and having to do predictive attribution. The game designer needs to know right, for creating different player journeys. The MMPs have to know in order to be worth anything. Uh, ad networks want to know in order to sell themselves to games, right? Like, hey, look, our campaigns, look, look, look at your ARPU. They need to advertise it. So everyone is going to have to start thinking about the whole picture. And I'm just going to say, I think Unity has a good shot at this because they've, they've been kind of bad at the game of, you know, backend systems and analytics, but they've been ramping up really fast. And I think it's the perfect timing for them to to actually put all the data. If they can just put all the acquisitions into one, and like crunch it into a little ball, they 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 they're like one of the few people that can do it. 
Yeah, they're going to have to figure something out to offset the advertising decline that's coming. <laughs> yes, that's coming. There you go. There you go. That, that's exactly what I would do if I was in their shoes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about it, guys. Thank you so much for your time. There you have it. Product implications of IDFA deprecation. I'll have links to uh, to contact you guys if if people want to get in touch with you. But do you guys have any final message for the audience? One more thing, and I'm not going to open up this discussion again, but I think gaming would be w well advised to just look at other industries um, because very, very few industries out there have had the luxury that we had of, you know, having this end-to-end -end attribution, right? And obviously when there is the opportunity, you know, you want to take advantage of that. Um, but very few other industries have that. But at the same time, there are a lot of other industries that are, you know, very successful at marketing and very successful at monetizing their products. So I'm sure, you know, there, there's something to be learned from, uh, from old school businesses out there. So that, that, that's what, what I want to end with. Awesome. Andre? Uh, I think it, this is, uh, I think the next six months, you should aggressively try everything you see. Because literally anything could be the, the next big thing, I think, uh, in terms of attribution and optimization. And right now, everyone's probably has like seven lines of code. Uh, so they're all starting at exactly the same <laughs> level of, you know, skill. And they need data. So from the data scientist perspective, I'm going to say, you know, help them out. They need data. Sign up. Try something new. See if it works. And we'll see what happens in six months. All right. Sound good, guys. All right. Thanks. And Thank uh, you, yeah, that's it. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.